Hey, how's it going? What's good, people? This is your host, Lavelle Powell. Welcome to the Keynote Cafe, the latest episode, huh? I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Um, very good show today. Um, I'm not going to mess around very much with any preliminaries. I'm going to kind of get into this next guest because this show is very important, I believe. Um, as you guys may, may be aware, 2020 saw the emergence of the uh, COVID-19 um, virus that has ravaged several uh, countries, especially the United States. It has caused everything from uh, deaths of loved ones and friends, colleagues, to job losses, to businesses um, going no longer having a business, to all kinds of turmoil and all, all sorts of things that uh, have resulted out of uh, this, this virus and the impact that it had. So the entertainment industry has particularly been hit by this. Uh, artists who were uh, previously performing and doing shows, they can no longer really do, do live performances because of the, this virus uh, and because of social distancing requirements. Also, uh, everybody from roadies to managers to club owners and, and all other components of the entertainment industry ha have all been impacted tremendously by uh, this virus, right? So um, with the end being in sight, with there being a vaccine and, and things like that sort of on the, uh, taking place now, people are getting uh, vaccinated. It's still a little bit of a long way before we really see, we, we, we come out of the woods, you know? So from a business perspective and, and entertainment industry perspective, uh, this next guest is here to sort of help give some hope and some direction to those who have been in the industry who have suffered as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, as far as some business directions, maybe some ideas that they can kind of go and, and uh, uh, check into and, Perhaps it can help sort of bring them out of this whole thing that was caused by the virus. Uh, this guy, Mel Albin, is a, uh, I consider him a business genius. This guy has like two doctorates. Um, and, and, and one of them uh, have to do with, has to do with business, you know, uh, the, the, the history of business and, and different things associated with business that, make him a very highly qualified person, in my opinion, to come on this show and kind of give some direction to people who have been um, hurt, particularly from a business standpoint in the, in the industry, you know. Um, he's a longtime friend of mine and someone who I think uh, is very, very capable of giving some much needed direction here. So uh, I'm going to jump right into this interview with him. And then after that, then I'll go into some new news and details that uh, I want to discuss about the Keynote Cafe, all right? So I don't want to hold you up. I know you're very busy. I'll just get straight to the, uh, the, um, the questions that I had to ask, because I, I know you, you're, you're definitely a, uh, like a, a, a bundle of knowledge when it comes to business stuff. So I know a lot of people can benefit from uh, the information you have to give. And so I just think uh, this, this, 
this episode is of particular importance because of that, right? Because of the pandemic and uh, the nature of it and, and specifically the, the impact that it's had on the entertainment industry. You know, it's, it's kind of, it just sort of uh, ravaged the industry to a, a large degree and threw a lot of people off. You know, I'm sure nobody expected to, to uh, um, have their daily routines in the industry uprooted and changed to, to that degree, you know? Uh, so this episode is very important in that it might kind of give some people some direction on what they can do, artists and, and other, other people who work in the industry, maybe some direction on what they might be able to do to kind of recoup and rebound a little bit. So um, I'll just start with the first, first question that I had to ask you. Um, so with the business obviously drives this country um, and uh, the world, and there's pretty much nowhere that you can turn your head without seeing something that uh, some some evidence of business, the weather is this, uh, the road, the roads, so anything, you know. But um, the entertainment industry is another thing that that is worldwide, obviously. And and um, so I just wanted to know from you what inspired you to get into business. What 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 inspired you to get into the uh, entertainment business and all the other things related to business that you're involved in. Okay. <clears throat> well, let me, let me answer that in reference to the music industry in particular. Sure. Um, I got involved, I got interested in the music industry when I was about 10 years old. And oh. um, it, the way it happened, I had a, I had a friend who, uh, who lived a couple of houses away from me, and uh, his father was extremely young. And uh, he, once, he, he once said to me, do I want to go to the movies? And I said, sure. And he said, he'll take Ronald, my friend, and me to the movies. And he went to tell my mother that he's taking us to the movies. My mother said, fine. Well, he didn't take us to the movies. He took us from my suburban white Long Island home neighborhood to the Apollo Theater to see oh. the first rock and roll extravaganza um, with Little Richard, um, with Chuck Berry, with wow. the, uh, the Big Bopper, um, with Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, and, and, um, and, and also uh, the crickets, you know, uh, with Peggy Sue. Okay, yeah. And so I went there and I had never, I, I mean, I was blown away. I, I, the, we were the only white people in the audience. We had center seats close to the stage and watching these performers, you know, um, perform was just beyond belief. And then the tragedy of the crash afterwards that, that killed a few of them, you know, remained yeah. with me. But, but, you know, but that was my first introduction to, first of all, to, R&B and rock, and I started listening to it my mom, on the radio, and my mom would ask me, "Where'd you, you know, what made you interested in that?" And I could never tell her that I went to the Apollo Theater. She thought I went to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first introduction. Then the next thing was when I was, you know, late teen, early twenties. I lived on Long Island, and there's a I lived in a place called Long Beach, and right next to it was Island Park, and a place opened there called the Action House, and uh, it was the first, you know, club. Uh, you know, this and this again was back in the, uh, you know, um, mid to late 60s. It was the first club in, you know, on Long Island and it was a major club. Um, Leslie West performed there, who I got to meet and got to know. Uh, he was playing with the Vagrants and then there was Vanilla Fudge and Billy Joel was a keyboard player only wow, and he yeah. performed there. And 
So, you know, that was a, that was a big deal. And I, and, and because Vanilla Fudge and the Vagrants were the house band, I got to hang out with Leslie quite a bit. And we stayed in contact probably until late 1990s. We, we went to a birthday party in New York City together. Um, and I lost kind of contact with him until his tragic death, which just is very difficult for me. But so, you know, so I got to see club life. I got to see a concert at a theater when I was still fairly young. And then, of course, it was Woodstock. And I went to went to Woodstock, and again, Mountain Mountain played there with Leslie West also, and Jimi Hendrix. You know the whole deal there. But I hung out backstage with Leslie West doing some smoke and some Jack. <laughs> we hang out on the second day, and they they did a they did an eleven or twelve song set that was just mind blowing. So I saw now large concerts, clubs, and you know, and and also concerts in a theater. And then the final thing was the Fillmore East. Um, there was a Fillmore West in Los Angeles, a Fillmore uh, San Francisco or Los Angeles, I forgot where. And, but it opened up on the eight, at the 8th Street Cinema. They renamed it the Fillmore East. And I saw Eric Clapton there. I mean, I saw um, uh, so many bands there. So, oh. you know, I was immersed in, in this kind of live music entertainment thing. I, and I, I just loved live music and going to see it. And then I, then of course, my education took me into how does this, how does this link to business? And my, my doctorate is in neuropsychology and my, I have a dual degree. My other doctorate is in U.S. economic and business history. Oh, cool. So I wanted to understand, how, you know, how does business evolve? You know, how do things rise and fall? How do certain types of entertainment become prominent and then recede into the background, you know? Cheap music was a big thing in the early 1900s, and now you don't even see it anymore. You know, vinyl was so big. Now vinyl's making a comeback. But vinyl disappeared. Yeah. You had eight track, then you had, then you had, um, you know, uh, cassette, then you had VHS, and you know, so and these things just died. And I was curious how innovation affects industry, particularly the music industry. And then finally, for about 12 years, 10 years, I was involved deeply in the music industry, managing some up and coming artists. Um, that were doing extremely well and had some number one hits. So I got involved in the management side. So I've kind of seen everything from the academic side of understanding business to the actual nuts and bolts about what goes into concerts, clubs, um, you know, uh, large scale uh, concerts. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I just saw it all. So I always yeah. took an interest in the business aspects of it. And that's how I got started. That's that's pretty. Um, that's that's a lot, man. That's a lot that you that you were able to to, to capture and experience. You know, uh, not many people um, get at at a young age and over a period of years to get that much experience. And, and I mean, you you got to see some legendary bands and, and artists yes. and pe people who are like uh, staples in, in the industry now. You know that that's 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 tremendous. Um, uh, and I, I can I can imagine it had to have had a, a huge impact on you, you know, and connected with whatever it was that was already there that made you ultimately decide that you wanted to you know delve deeper into it and even make it a career, you know. Uh, so that that's like, wow, I wish I could. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, like, the, experience, the experiences, Lavelle, were incredible. And, you know, um, I, I, I got to see change so many changes in the music industry over the years and how artists responds to those changes too and it's not easy you know one of the other things i did and i'm just going to throw this in because it's really relevant to what we're going to discuss today mm -hmm. i took a great interest in complexity um people develop very simple shorthand 
ways of understanding markets and market changes um, mm -hmm. because it's convenient. It fits into our, you know, our mental landscape. Uh, but they're often erroneous and they lead us down a lot of blind alleys. Complexity allows us to see what are the, what are the alternatives out there? How many scenarios are there? And what's the probability of certain things going certain ways? And what's within the realm of possibility for any one artist or band or group to be able to always have a, a solid career, being cognizant of the changes, but more importantly, what is my brand and how does my brand relate to these changes? You know, can I do this? And if so, what do I have to do to do it? Right. So it's, it's not simple. It appears to be simple. Like there's new technology, yeah. let's just do it. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of pieces to that, uh, clearly, and even more so in, in today's time. So, I mean, that, that's definitely uh, touching on uh, the next question as far as like having that adaptive mindset uh, as far as in the industry. And when, when you have things that were previously good sources of income for you and then they get uh, complicated or, or, or stop or slow down, dwindle down because of some major technological change or something in the industry. Uh, so I guess what... Why is, I don't know if people know why, you know, why is that so important to, to be able to adapt, right? And adjust and, and uh, just keep moving on and, and to, in order to stay relevant. And what, why is that so important? Well, you know, first, let me, let me just review really briefly what is an adaptive mindset. It's kind of a mental attitude where you assess the facts and circumstances in a particular environment. Okay, and you make the appropriate adjustments to be able to succeed, depending on whatever those changes are in a given period. Mm -hmm. And that implies a perfectly rational person who can yeah. assess things <laughs> without emotion, understand the new technology that changes in the environment and readily adapt to them. But people don't mm -hmm. work that way. You know, people have a, an emotionally vested interest in the kinds of behaviors they do every day. Yeah. So if I'm brought up to know, that if I do concerts and I sell CDs, I'll have a music career. And then somebody tells me it doesn't work anymore. I don't, it'll take me a while before yeah. I say, hey, I'm gonna give this up because this has been my bread and butter and I've been wedded to this for so long. Yeah. You know, so the, the first thing is, you know, having an adaptive mindset, you have, you have what I call first responders. There are people that love change, that can't yeah. wait for the next thing to come out. And there are plenty of musicians out there you know, who do that, you know, who just look to the new technologies and, and, and move towards them rapidly, you know, um, and that is in a sense, their brand that I'm cutting edge, I'm innovative, I'm always yeah. on the, you know, on the cusp of change. But for 90, 80, let's say 80% of the bands, that doesn't work that way. They want to mm -hmm. see, let them do it first. And let's see what happens before I put my toe in the water. That's and take true. The risk. So you know, it, it's, it's an evolutionary process, not a revolutionary process. There's a tipping point. You know, there's a point at which when you have the first responders and they build enough credibility, then everybody gets on the bandwagon. But, but you know, I, I, I'm going to keep coming back to the notion of brand that yeah. we don't pay enough attention as musicians to what our brand is and how does it changes in the environment, changes in our industry, changes in technology. How does that impact my brand? Like if I'm doing old school and I'm doing blues, you know, do I want to move into, you know, a virtual environment using avatars? <laughs> right. Is that, yeah. is that, does that connect with my music or who I am? Yeah. And sometimes that those, if you adapt those changes, it could destroy your brand and leave you, you know, in limbo. 
Mm-hmm. So these are very difficult decisions. And that's why, you know, it's important for, if you're not capable of creating new music, doing rehearsals, doing gigs, <clears throat> rec- you know, recording in the studio and managing the business aspects, you got to turn the business aspects over to somebody else. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's hard to find good managers, you know, who don't keep repeating what they've been taught. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so the adaptive mindset is evolutionary, not revolutionary. And oftentimes you need to know your limitations and bring somebody in who can create value. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So uh, what, what, what do you think that, is it possible to, for someone to rebrand themselves? Yes, you know, it's, that's a great question, Lavelle. And the answer to that is you can, you can still maintain continuity and rebrand yourself. There's something called the blue ocean strategy. What that is, I can still have my brand, but I can seek to engage my fans in a non-competitive space where I create something that's more unique and different enough so that I don't have to compete with everybody else that either has, you know, still using the, you know, the um, traditional ways of, of, of creating music or yeah. more revolutionary ad- adapting immediately. I can find a non-competitive space and still have my own brand but define myself as being unique. And the uniqueness is what your brand really is. Otherwise, you know, right. you, know, you, know you could be a cover band and be totally unique. That, that's, okay? that's great. That's great. That's great information because, you know, some people, you know, when, when you say rebrand, they automatically think, um, let's say they do R&B and now they're going to start doing country or something like that. You know, they, they, to them, that's maybe the first thing that comes to their mind when you say rebrand, but there's, you just you just indicated there's several more elements to that uh, that can also include just finding some unique other uh, venue of earning income, you know, and and yes, that also qualifies as that. Yeah, you know, and Lavelle, you, you, again, your point is well taken. Look, there's, there's not that much difference between gospel, country, blues, and R and B. Let's face yeah. it. Yeah. And there's there's places where it can cross over, and we saw Little Nas, and you know, do that. You know, with Billy Ray Cyrus last year, um, where they had a tremendous hit with a crossover hip hop and country, and that's yeah. a stretch. Hip hop and country is kind of a stretch, but but gospel and country or gospel and blues is not a stretch. So you know, you can ha- you can still maintain your brand, but you can still adapt to new markets, mm-hmm. and then have mul- have multiple fan bases, not just one fan base. Mm-hmm. And that and that that's um that's something that has become more uh, of a thing in recent years, because um, as I said, I think I was talking with um, Brian Culberson on uh, one of the previous interviews. And we, we talked about um, changing genres or, or the industry wanting them to be stuck to a certain genre. They didn't want them to be like multi-genre and stuff like that. It, it was sort of like golf that, back in the day, but nowadays that along with other things like what you're talking about, they're more open to uh, a person expressing themselves, their artistic nature in different ways. You know, back in the day, it wasn't really like that. And so I think that it's, it's, in some ways, the, the changes that have occurred in the industry, I think just sort of makes it where people can be more creative, where before they were kind of limited, you know, man, managers and record labels didn't really, they, they kind of restricted uh, your way of expressing yourself artistically, right? But 
you're able to do it more, I think, because of the and, and largely because of the many changes that have kind of, kind of taken place in the industry. So I think that what you're saying is, is, is great for people to know that because a lot of new artists and and definitely those who are already in the industry, I don't think that they think they don't think to, to that degree. Yeah. They, they don't. And it's not it's because, like you said, they're so used to uh, having done things a certain way for so long things that work for them for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden now it just changes. And that, that shock, they have to get over that initial shock before they can really kind of think about, okay, let me kind of examine my options here. And, and yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it also, it was interesting about this process. You know, it, it does involve not only industry changes, but it also involves the technology. Look, in 1990, nobody ever heard of the internet. Right. So we were really we had radio we had record contracts, radio stations with payola, you know, to get your stuff played. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we, we we had live concerts, and we had the record company distributing records, and then eventually cassettes of your music, and that was the model. You know, yeah. there was no internet. There was no. There were very few indie bands. It was unheard of, kind of. You know, they they were out there, but in order yeah. to really make any headway and get airtime, you had to have a label. So that changed with the internet. And everybody, you know, accepted that. And, and you know, we, we moved into the digital age. And then from the internet, you know, nobody ever heard of Facebook till 2005. Yeah. You know, or, and Google, it wasn't out there. Yeah. So, you know, now we had the internet, now we had Facebook, and then following on the heels of that are Instagram and LinkedIn, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and I can go on and on, Snapchat, I mean, it's one after another. And gradually artists re- realized, you know, if I'm going to build my base, I really need to use social media mm-hmm. to enhance my fan base and then of course you had google and you can put up your music on google you know yeah. um, you have your own page so you know this was an evolutionary process and along the way at some point quantitatively when you have these changes taking place yeah suddenly it becomes a qualitative change there's a moment in time where things change and covid created that moment you know, the technology was there, but nobody ever heard of Zoom last March. Never heard of it. Right, it was there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Nobody ever heard of Zoom. So um, what happens? You know, now virtual concerts, the technology was there and we saw yeah. it evolving. But suddenly mm-hmm. we have to put our foot in the water. We have no choice, you know, and take the leap of logic, you know, and say, I got to do this because I can't perform in, in clubs. I can't do concerts live. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and the trickle down, it affects clubs. It affects... Uh, Live Nation. Live Nation last year lost 98% of their income. Wow. You know, wow. now that, and that's a company you expect to be adaptive, but nobody saw this coming. Yeah. And so you reach a point where the, the, the technology was evolving. You know, let's just, let me just step out and just say one more thing. You know, in the early, late 19th, early 20th century, centralization of the workplace took place, both in terms of factory labor and executive management. Okay. And you had the rise of, of large factories with 5,000 workers in one place. You had centralized management. Okay. And, and so, you know, we went to this model, but now with the evolution of the computer and the internet and technology, in a way, by, ni- by 2000, that centralized workplace was obsolete, but we persisted in it because, again, that was the model and it was continued to be successful. Then suddenly COVID hits suddenly now you have remote workers working from home the workplace is shut down and you know up until now the view was 
Well, if you have workers working at home, you can't control their behavior. You don't know if they're putting in all the time. Right. But now, but now they can track you on your computer. They know when you're on your computer and when you're working and when you're just sitting on there and not working. So, sure do. so suddenly remote work becomes a possibility. So now you have two things. You have virtual concerts and you have people not in a centralized location. This affects their perceptions of entertainment. And what comes along with that, suddenly we have big screen TV, 65 inch, 70 inch TVs for under $500. Mm-hmm. So now I can watch a virtual concert that I can't tell the difference between that and a live performance. I can watch it on a big screen. I'm home anyway. I'm remote working. So, Mm -hmm. and then you have younger generation gaming. You know, they they don't get it together and hang out and and play stickball in the streets and football. You know, they're gaming by themselves with other people involved in the game. And so they're used to, you know, the, the idea that virtual reality is replacing reality. So, so now suddenly by the time you get to 2021, you know, if you're a musician, the revolution's happened. It's, it's here. And whether it will ever go back to having live concerts in the scale that they used to have, I think is open to question because, you know, if I can watch a holographic concert where right. it's, three dimen- it's three dimensional on my TV and I have to pay for parking, pay $20 for a ticket, not $200 for a ticket. Right. I don't have to travel to see my favorite band to California if I'm living in Maryland. I can watch them in Maryland. <laughs> yeah. uh, so for a lot of people, especially the younger generation, virtual music is here to stay and it's gonna become a bigger and bigger threat to live um, you know, traditional venue um, yeah. music. And that means then also the clubs will have to adapt. What are they gonna do? What are the restaurants gonna to do to have live entertainment? You know, what are the, you know, what are the engineers going to do? Uh, you know, um, yeah. what are the roadies going to do? And, but there's all there's positions for everybody. But, you know, COVID has forced us suddenly to take a look at things that were evolving slowly. But the technology mm-hmm. was already there. Those buildings in the downtown area are going to be vacant because people aren't going to be working there anymore. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, musicians have to adapt also. And they, they shouldn't feel that, you know, their careers come to an end. This is an opportunity now. Um, the technology is there. It's not expensive. And you have to understand that you can have multiple streams of revenue. And that's what you and I were talking about with crossing yeah. over into different genres, for example. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it definitely, uh, the, the pandemic has definitely caused people to force them rather to, to have to kind of re- sit back and kind of rethink things because it, it just, it was such a sudden and, and drastic uh, halting to everything that, that they were doing, that the norm, their, their, their norms, you know? Uh, so, and so along with that, this might be sort of kind of off the topic of the industry, but still related um, with, with there having been people who have lost loved ones uh, to, to COVID. And some of them may have been uh, the breadwinners or the main source of income. Um, and even in the industry that, that has taken place so someone who has had to deal with that, losing uh, a person who was the, uh, the main source of income, or, or maybe they lost their, own, their, their job, um, do you think that uh, considering the impact that COVID has had, that maybe it would be um, a better option for them to maybe look into starting their own business per se versus trying to find another traditional means of employment? Well, you know, 
You're asking great questions. And part of the, part of the problem <clears throat> that everyone has to come to grips with, you know, while change has been evolutionary, COVID made it revolutionary. Yeah. And you know, it's no longer a luxury to be able to sit back and ponder. You know, if you want your career to pick up, you really have to start to, taking some mm-hmm. steps. Like, for example, we knew long before, before COVID that streaming music, first you had downloads started to replace CDs. And download, you pay 99 cents per download. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you download, somebody downloads one song, you're no longer getting the 15 or $20 for a CD, you're getting 99 right. cents. And that was a big enough hit right there. Yeah. So you have to start looking at numbers. How do I get people to buy my music? And the problem with that is, what is a fan? You really have to ask yourself the question, what is a fan? If you're looking at 15,000 hits on your Facebook page and you put a CD up there, you put a song up there and you have four takers, what does that tell you about your fan base? <laughs> the 15,000 people, you know, it might be yeah. nice to look at and look how popular uh-huh. I am. But when it comes to people really being what I call super fans, where they, they want to monetize your career because they want you to be successful because they love your music and love who you are. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a whole different thing. You really have to start, start looking beyond those numbers and, you know, what is a real fan? <clears throat> then we went from downloading to streaming. Yeah. Streaming, most places, and it varies between <clears throat> Amazon, CD Baby. I mean, all these, they, they all vary to a large extent in terms of how much they pay an artist. But typically, for, for you know, if, you're, if you have airtime and you're being, your song is being played on the air, you typically get 0.00008 cents. That's eight ten thousandths of a penny. Yeah. So in order to make the minimum wage each month, which is you know, which is approximately fifteen hundred dollars a month, you need to have fifteen million downloads to make minimum wage. That that's, and you know, and, and that's that's the business aspect that musicians aren't equipped to look at. Yeah. So they see streaming, you know, and they're being told, well, you know, you'll have all these people, all these different platforms will play your song, you'll be played on the radio. You know, it, it, you have to start looking at what makes sense in terms of me monetizing my career so I can survive as an artist and do what I love best. Yeah. So is it, you know, to start your own business, to get into the music business now, I would say it's a terrific time to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But you have to understand the logistics of that business uh, and what, you know, what's going to be effective, you know, and there's so much to look at. That's why I'm talking to you about complexity. You know, we talked about, looking at the fan base, we talked about looking at cutting edge technology, about mm-hmm. brand, you know, about, you know, traditional ways of creating value through CDs or sale of music, and also doing live concerts in clubs and bars and larger venues. Um, so we get back to the point where this is not a simple business, it never really has been. Yeah. But no. the, difference, the difference is we have to recognize the complexity, and that goes back to your first kind of question about adaptive mindset it ain't easy brother <laughs> it's not easy and and you know and and just like it's the 80 percent rule 80 percent of the people in most industries just do what they've always done only 20 percent kind of get the joke and they know when the innovation is taking place and they want to make sure that you're protected as an artist and you have to find those managers that can protect your interest and make sure that you're successful you know as a, as a as an artist Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a great time to start a, a career in music, 
the tools are all out there. You know, indie labels, yeah. for example, have popped up everywhere. Artists are now producing their own music and distributing their own music. Production of the music is not really the, 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 the key in my mind. It's distribution. And, yeah. you know, if, if you're going to get from one of the major distributors out there, like Spotify, you know, 0.008 cents per play, you know, for, for stream, you know, there's, you know, you and I know there's a guy out there in the UK, Dr. G, Dr. Mm -hmm. Glenn Reese. He has MFM uh, digital networks. He owns multiple radio stations. Mm -hmm. And he also has his own label, Polyphemus. And this is where, if you're going to join, come into this industry now, you got to take a look at this. Um, Dr. G is creating a model where he's going to pay every artist 10 cents per play. That's quite wow. different from 0. 0.00008 or 0. 0.008. Yeah. This is 10 cents a play. So if you get a thousand plays in a day, okay, you just made a hundred bucks. So, yeah, so I mean, that, that's, the, that's the kind of thing. You, you go to that label, you sign up and, the, and it's not expensive by any stretch of the imagination. It's, you yeah. know, and it's a five-year contract because obviously he has to really be able to make some money off this for his station, even though his station's a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, you got to make some money off them. But I'm using that as an example. You yeah. have to know if you say I'm going to be involved in the music industry as an entrepreneur and I want to have my music recorded and distributed. How are you going to do that? Where are you going to do it? And where does it make most sense for you to be able to monetize your career? If it's a hobby, it doesn't make a difference. Right. And the hobbyists create the problem for a lot of serious musicians because they'll play for nothing. Mm hmm. And, and so, you know, there's always been an internal problem in, in the music industry. But again, you know, you got to pick and choose. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I have a great sound. I have something unique. I want to have it produced and distributed. What do I do? The yeah. business of music, yeah, I need to have multiple streams of income. Am I, am I creative enough to do that or do I need a manager? These are fundamental decisions if you're going to join the industry. But it's not a bad time to join if you know what you're no. doing or find people that know what they're doing for you. There are plenty of opportunities out there, uh, more than yeah. there have been before. And, and that, that's what another thing that we don't do enough of when we uh, find out that this abundant well that we were, were getting this water from, uh, from has, has run dry. We don't look around and see, hey, there's a whole lot of other wells out here you, know, you, can, you, can, you can get water from, you know, but, we, but we're so used to this one well. And, and going back to Dr. G, man, that, that, that guy, uh, what, what I love about what, what he, he's done is, of course, it's going to benefit him, but obviously, he put some thought into what he could do that could also benefit other artists, people beyond himself. And, and that's, that's another thing that I think is great uh, to see uh, people do in the industry, where they take the, 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 the things that they come up with as far as how to stay adaptive in the industry, it not only benefits them, but it also reaches out and has a benefit for other people. I, I think that's a no brainer to do, to take advantage of that, what he's offering. Uh, I, I mean, I can't see why anybody would not do it to go yeah. from the point, all them zeros up to 10 cents per play. Uh, that, that's a great opportunity for people. Um, and I, I think that uh, what he's doing is, is very, very, very great. And uh, I, I applaud him for that. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask too, um, as far as like those physical type of uh, venues like club, club, clubber, uh, club owners, uh, 
uh, roadies and, and such, you know, what are there any viable options that you can think of or um, direction that they may be able to go in or what, uh, to, to keep doing that or would they have to completely reimagine the services that they offer? Well, you know, look, the, the, again, Lavelle, your, your questions are, are perfect for 2021 because, you know, we were talking about home workers, people no longer working in a centralized place. Mm-hmm. You know, for a lot of musicians where they used to record in a centralized place in the studio and they would have a centralized place to perform called a club or a concert hall or a stadium. Um, now they have just like people who are working from home who used to work in an office or a factory. You know, all, all the people affiliated with the music industry have to start thinking about remote work. How do I adapt what I do yeah. to remote work? And, and you know, there's, there's plenty of opportunity out there. Um, you know, and that's, you know, like, for example, um, there's been major changes. You know, we all know what green screens are, where you put a green screen behind someone and then you can superimpose them on, on, a, on a stage where you wouldn't even, even though they're working maybe in their house, and mm-hmm. you can put all the different musicians collectively working in six different locations on the same stage this way. That's been around for a long time. And now that concept's been improved with holographic technology that really creates a three dimension. Now there are avatars out there. I've never been a fan of that because I think it caught, it makes your, it makes you into a cartoon that doesn't yeah. know, make you real to fans. Um, so, but holographic performances are another technology. Now, if you move into holographic performances, you still need a sound engineer. Somebody's got to make sure the sound is right because let's face it, the technology may look pretty, but if the sound mm-hmm. sucks, you know, right. the, the purpose of the concert is not just to have a visual experience, it's to hear the music you love. So sound engineers have to adapt to the virtual environment, but they're still going to be using similar kinds of technology, but they have to be able to do it in a different space. And the same thing goes for roadies. You know, you still, if you're going to do virtual concerts, let's suppose they're pre-recorded in a studio. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to have to set up the equipment and, and bring the equipment to the studio. So, you know, I think, I think the difference is the work is going to change to some degree for, the, for a roadie. Like they even may go to your house and, and bring, bring a lot of the equipment to set it up for you. So, and the yeah. engineer is the same way. So, you know, the promoter, the promoter now can, can, can do virtual concerts. Live Nation, if they're going to exist, I've got to produce now pre-recorded quote live concerts. Yeah. I say pre-recorded live is if the technology is correct, you can't tell the difference. The only difference right. is you're not physically there. You're watching it on a big screen at home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, there has to be, again, some recognition that the world changes, you know, look, there used to be companies that manufactured buggy whips and wooden wheels and they're, they're, they're long gone. You know, right. um, because they, they technically the world leaves them behind if they can't adapt to some to some extent. So the question is, what you know, what does a club owner do or a restaurant? Well, a restaurant can have two things. They can have a pre-recorded great and put up a big screen and have a great band, a, a well-recognized band playing every Friday. Mm-hmm. And, a, and a, again, a virtual concert that could be even made just for them or it could be taken out of a box. Um, and then you can have a, a live local band perform or a DJ, mm-hmm. right? So what a live band's going to do if, if, if clubs move to this model, which is cost-effective, obviously, you know, having a, a large screen production and, and the digital, digital screens are out there and they're, they're, 
they're so three-dimensional they're wonderful they're, they're not cheap but once you invest the money it's like fifteen thousand yeah. dollars you know and you put them up on your in your club or your restaurant you know you can start streaming and you know and having a dj cuts down on the cost immensely from having a band so then what are the band members going to do are they going to play for less money no they're going right. to have to up their game and, mm -hmm. and move into different space and, and this involves then looking at your fan base which we talked about and you know, you and I have had this discussion before, and yeah. this is where I'm coming to. Some time ago, some guy said, I can't remember who he was, but he said, you need to have super fans, not fans. Super fans buy things. Fans just say hello. Right. And, you know, <laughs> so, you know, I, I've been looking at, I've been working with artists. I've been trying to get them to understand this concept. You have to start, you have the media. One-to-one -one marketing is what Amazon does. They will send you things based on your buying history that they know you're interested in, in terms of product classification or brand. They know, and they'll send you this stuff regularly by email. Or when you log on, they, they have recommendations for you. That's one-to-one -one marketing. This is what musicians have to start doing. They have to start engaging their audience one-on-one. -on -one. Now, it may yeah. sound difficult. Now, if you're, if you're a guy like, let's say, Sam Smith, where you get 50 million hits on your song, you don't have to engage anybody one-on-one. -on -one. Right. But for artists breaking into the music industry, for artists already in the industry that are pressing the limits of being a B performer and want to become an A performer, mm -hmm. you still have to make money. So you have to start engaging your fan base and creating super fans. Um, and you can do this by getting email addresses. You can use Zoom and have meetings every week with 10 of your fans and give them special insights. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then they build loyalty. And here, here's the bottom line. You create maybe membership levels for your fans and ask them to become members because you, they, and you can get them to understand this is a business. And like anything else they buy, if they're buying into you, they have to be able to be willing to spend money on that brand or that product. Right. So if you can get a thousand people that you work on it for a year and get a thousand really super fans and they're willing to spend eight or ten dollars a month. And you have a thousand of them. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are you looking at? You're looking at, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Okay. And, mm -hmm. but, but you don't need a hundred thousand fans at $1 each. Right. That's exactly. my point. So, right. you know, this is a different universe where you can do one-to-one -one marketing. And once you have the thousand super fans, you start building on that. And then it takes on a life of its own. You don't have to communicate with them anymore because there are plenty of things. You can have a VIP room and create that for your fans where they can come in there you know, if they want to log in and you can answer any questions they might have, and you can take questions. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of technology now to build a fan base that you can monetize. It's not important to build a fan base that doesn't produce any money. It's useless. Right. Exactly. So, so that, I guess my, so my answer to that, I guess my long roundabout answer to that is there's room for roadies, for engineers, for promoters, for, um, for club owners, but they have to start looking at, <clears throat> You know, the, the realities of the marketplace, what's possible to do within their budget, what's possible to do within their limits of creativity, and who, who do you have to bring on to make this happen for you? Yep. Sharing the pie sometimes makes you more money than trying to keep it all for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I so, think uh, uh, some, you know, people, uh, more people can benefit from accepting that, you know, uh, that that's kind of the, the nature of the beast. Now you, you, you have to sort of um, uh, involve other people in there that can help you get to where you're ultimately trying to be. 
And, you know, everybody, there's definitely enough success for everyone to, uh, to have along the way. So you don't have to focus on trying to keep it off to yourself. Why not do something where everybody will benefit from it, including yourself? Yeah, and I think, Lavelle, the idea of one-to-one marketing is really one of the most important things we're talking about today. There's technology right now where you can get a photo of your fan and you can create a photo with you and your fan and give it back to them. It costs you next to nothing. The technology is there. Yeah. So you can have the VIP room I talked about. You can be involved with your fans and they say, can I have have a picture with you? And you can say, yeah, if it's, you know, $2, you know, I'll give you a picture, I'll sign it and send it back to you. The mm-hmm. technology is there, of course, next to nothing. And now your fan has a personal memento VIP meeting, but they never saw you physically. Yeah. But That's it's close. Nice. Mm-hmm. Can't be much closer. There's a picture of me with this artist. And the, I mean, and, and considering everything uh, with the technology and the things that have led to that technology, yeah, that, that they would love that. I mean, they'd love that. that. That's something they'll be waving around, showing everybody, hey, look, I have a picture with you know, whomever, you That's know? Right. So that, that would be great. <clears throat> yep. Um, so are there any final words that you may have to, that you can offer um, uh, to give people like in the industry who, who are dealing with the impacts of the pandemic and such, you know, um, some direction before we close? Or? Well, I, I, think, I think it's first recognition that just because you can't do concerts and sell CDs, your career has not come to an end by any stretch of the imagination. Has right. it been set back? Yes, because no one saw the the magnitude of this change coming, even though Mm -hmm. the technology as we've talked about has been emerging and the changes have been there all along, it kind of hit a wall and everything now is is in a different space. So part of this is recognizing that you can have a lucrative career, just as lucrative, but it's gonna be different. Mm -hmm. And if you wanna stay in the music industry and you love what you do and you love producing music, whether you're an engineer or a roadie or a promoter or a manager or or a club owner or an artist Uh um, that, you know, you can still be in the game, but you may have to look to other people to bring into the mix that have expertise that you don't have. Okay. Um, Uh Like for example, you know, in the old fashioned record company, you had A&R, you had people that built your brand. That's all they were devoted to is, you know, is building your brand. They were specialists. So you may need specialists today, you know, to be able to create, the multiple streams of income that are required today to protect any artist from, a, you know, a sea of change like we've seen recently. Yeah. So yeah, it's doable. It's out there. There's, there's a, the pieces are all out there, but you know, for a lot of artists, you know, it's hard to put it together. You, you know, you had Brian Culberson on your show, who's, yeah. you know, just an amazing artist and yeah. he's so innovative and the guy turns out a hundred songs a day. <laughs> I know how he does it, Yeah. you know? But he, he and, the, and the quality is awesome. He's extremely creative. So for him to adapt new technology is a lot easier than yeah. for a lot of us, you know, because that, that's who he is. I mean, how many instruments does the guy play? Probably 10 of them. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so but we're not all Brian Culberson. We have to yeah. recognize that. And sometimes we have to say, this is the limits. I'm, I can produce some great music, mm-hmm. but there's limits to what I can do in terms of creating a business model that makes sense. And that involves technology and management. And, you know, you have to sometimes just say, I got to bring in some people that don't know how to do this. Yeah. So, hey, man, I appreciate that. that, that that's a tremendous uh, amount of advice. And I'm sure a, a great many people in the industry and, and even those who are not can take what you say and apply it 
to uh, some plan or something that they may be interested in doing to kind of rebound from uh, all of the uh, things that was that were caused by this pandemic. Uh, so I, I thank you for that. You you gave a wealth of advice uh, that people can definitely benefit from. So I, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk with me, man. I appreciate that, my brother. So um, thanks a lot. No problem, Lavelle. You know, I love you and you're doing a great job and you're phenomenal musician and this and the keynote cafe there's nothing like it out there no. and you're doing your all you're doing the music industry and your fans and the, and also the artists a great a great service so we thank you too all right man i appreciate that deeply this show take care. is definitely doing great things so appreciate that thank you man take care of yourself all right you too now bye-bye bye-bye how about that huh great interview with mel alvin as you can see, the guy is a wealth of knowledge. He has so much uh, very valuable insight into business, not only the history, uh, but even like future trends with, with business. He, he's very good at um, sort of anticipating the direction that businesses are going in, the whole, whole e-commerce and the whole commerce market, you know, everything associated with business. He's able to sort of tell the trajectory that the direction is heading in and what options are available for people, particularly in the, in the entertainment industry who would like very much to um, be a, um, to, to benefit from uh, this new direction. And as he said before, you know, uh, there is pretty much not a better time other than now to get in the entertainment industry. There are so many new opportunities that, that are here that people can take advantage of that will help grow them, grow their business and to, to uh, make bigger accomplishments and have a more widespread success. There's a lot more out there for you than it was some years ago. Uh, and especially with this pandemic, uh, more opportunities have, have come out of it. And as you can see, you, know, you have uh, other people who have taken advantage of it to uh, um, get, business opportunities out of it and it has benefited them. And that's sort of like proof that uh, taking these steps will work for you as well. You know, can, can very well work for you. You just have to um, regroup yourself uh, as hard as it may be and just put your focus on your future and where you see yourself heading and go ahead and move in that direction. Um, I enjoyed that, in, that interview very much with him because I learned a great deal that even I did not know, you know, I wasn't aware of. That's why it's so important to have people like him on the show because it gives you some insight, some focus, some direction, you know? And uh, I just think that um, people will benefit, uh, especially those who have lost their businesses, you know, and those who may have lost jobs and may not know what to do right now. They may be sort of in limbo trying to decide their future you know, hopefully this will give you some direction, you know, and kind of help you sort of find your footing and move forward uh, toward uh, regrouping and rebounding. You know, my heart goes out to all those who've lost loved ones as a result of this pandemic. I myself have lost two very good friends of mine, uh, even a couple of family members to this virus. Um, so I, I, I can identify with the pain associated with it. Um, so my heart my condolences goes out to everyone who has lost someone very special to them as a result of this pandemic. Um, 
So if you have not noticed, the Kino Cafe is, hey, if you, as you can see, the, the quality of our video has greatly improved, right? Be, that's because we've invested into some new uh, equipment, new camera, uh, microphone here, as you can see, uh, some other things that we've invested into. Uh, you may notice the background has a little addition to it with, with uh, one of the projects that I was involved in, this Guns and Grounds movie that is currently playing in select theaters. Uh, but will soon be worldwide. Currently, in the in those theaters that it's playing in, it's been selling out. Like every theater it goes in, it sells out. It doesn't stay <laughs> in the theater before it sells out. So that's a very good indication of how good this movie is, right? So, but the Kino Cafe, we've been doing some things trying to improve the quality of the experience of the show. I'm very happy to be a part of that. Um, as I said before, we're going to be offering some some new things uh, to help uh, give you guys more as a way of thanking you for your support and your help. Uh, so the Keto Cafe website, the membership plans that are on those on on the site, you know, the um, the basic plan uh, is a very good uh, start. And and just to kind of give you uh, explain a little bit how it helps, you know. The, your membership, the membership plans you take advantage of, uh, the the money that you pay every month, it goes into the, like things like this equipment that we get, um, and other things that we do to sort of give you a top notch experience on the show, you know, um, and to invest in merchandise that we will be offering you guys in, in the very near future. By the way, uh, merchandise stuff, uh, things like mugs, um, uh, ink pens, or uh, maybe even T-shirts uh, um, in the foreseeable future, things like that that we want to offer that's designed to just help give you something as a thank you, in addition to the other uh, benefits that come with being a Kino Cafe member. Um, I just think that you guys deserve the best that, that we can bring you, you know? And, and this, this, this allows us to do that. Um, as I said, some contests will be coming up things like that to just make it fun, right? For everybody, okay? So I, I encourage you to go to thekinocafe.com and take advantage of one of those um, uh, cafe member plans, uh, at, at the very least, the basic plan, because that's just as important as all the other plans because it, it all, in the end, goes to helping the show improve and progress, you know, and become better for, for everybody, you know? Um, so I encourage you to do that. Also, uh, just to remind you that we are on social media. You will find us on Instagram at the Keynote Cafe, and you will find us also on Facebook at the Keynote Cafe. So you can just go to any of those platforms and type the name in, and it should uh, fairly quickly bring up the site. And the emblem, you'll know because the emblem is very similar to that poster that's behind me there. Okay, it'll look just like that. You'll see the Keynote Cafe with Lavelle Powell on there. So go on there. You, you'll be able to keep up with any new news associated with the show, any uh, future guests, um, birthdays, any, any shout outs. Uh, we're going to start doing uh, shout outs to certain to, to, to uh, our supporters and, 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 and fans and stuff just as a thank you. Um, and so many other things that we're going to start doing. And you'll find that information right there on our social media pages, um, as well as some announcements, some announcements we'll make on the show as well. So we're working very hard to improve the 
the experiences you guys have in watching and or listening to the show. I just wanted to make you aware of that. There's a lot more stuff I have to tell you. I won't have time to tell you on this episode, but we're going to get into some more details and some more stuff that the Kino Cafe we're, that we're doing here to just improve the joy of your experience in, of this show, okay? So until next time, hey, we're going to have another, another very important guest on the show, uh, another celebrity guest that I think you guys will be very happy to, to see, all right, and listen to, okay? Uh, so until then, this is Lavelle, you know, Cafe. You guys have a great day. I love you. Share it really deeply about you, and you guys have a blessed day. Bye.